You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 18 through 22 today. But I want us to begin... Uh, verse 16. Um, as you're turning there, let me encourage you as you, uh, as you leave today, <clears throat> we've made some uh, Easter invite cards. They're kind of a, a pink color, peach color, uh, that you can uh, pick up. Pick up as many as you like as you leave, as many as you'll hand out. Uh, invite to your friends and neighbors to come and worship with us <clears throat> for our Easter services. So we've, we've got these for you, and I hope that you'll uh, take advantage of that. We'll also be handing those out on April the 9th and 16th, a uh, couple of outreach events that we have planned at the parks. And um, so we'll be uh, handing out some invitations there as well. And so I hope that you'll uh, take advantage of doing that. People are much uh, the most effective way in uh, just reaching out to our friends and neighbors is personal invitation. And so I encourage you uh, to do that. Use that tool. Romans 4 is uh, where we're returning to today. And Paul has been uh, laboring here to establish the point that our, our justification, our salvation is by faith alone. He's been using Abraham as an illustration. Abraham from the Old Testament. And uh, we return to him today and where we learn a little bit more about the nature of Abraham's faith. Romans 4, verse 16. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us today, and I pray that in these moments you would, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, Apply these things to our hearts and lives. Give us ears to hear, hearts that are ready to receive your word. We thank you for this time. We, I pray that you would use me as your servant during it, Lord, that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come here to... Uh, the end of this first section in Romans, Romans chapters 1 through 4. Um, and you might remember from chapter 1 that Paul spoke about 
how humanity has rejected God and refused to glorify Him. Let me remind you, Romans 1.21 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. That word honor, glorify. They did not glorify Him as God. But it's interesting to notice Abraham here in chapter 4, verse 20, as we're closing in on the end of this section, Paul writes, he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. He's kind of the, 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 the opposite of what, of what we see here. And we, we find Abraham, uh, having believed in God, it is now his utmost concern is now to bring God glory. In, in all that he does. And, and it's an important reminder that, that our faith does bring glory to God. Through our faith, we can glorify him, but without faith, we cannot glorify him. It's also interesting that verse 19 says of Abraham that he did not weaken in faith. But rather, verse 20, notice the phrase, he grew strong in his faith. It's kind of puzzling to read that a little bit, especially if you've been with us on Wednesday night, because there are times as we're studying the life of Abraham that it does seem like that he, is, um, he seemed to struggle uh, in his faith. But what, what Paul reminds us of and clarifies for us is that, that Abraham's faith was not, it's not necessarily wobbling, uh, that, that he never wobbled or weakened, uh, but, but rather that faith and, and faithfulness uh, governed his life despite the ups and downs, despite the trials uh, that, that, he, that he faced. And in that way, his faith is exemplary for us, something for us to consider, not because he never faltered, but because he stayed strong in the great test of life. And so let's study this passage this morning. Let's look at it again and think about the nature or characteristics of Abraham's faith and hopes that our faith would grow stronger and that we would bring glory to God as well. First of all, notice his faith <clears throat> enabled him to believe God's word of promise. His faith enabled him to believe God's word of promise. Verse 18, in, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Now, we were told earlier that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. But here, Paul explains a little bit more about what Abraham believed. What is it that he, that he believed? What was the promise that God had, had made to him? When God told Abram that he would become the father of many nations, it was a bold promise, uh, to say the least. At that time, Abraham was around 75 years old. And his wife, Sarah, was 65 years old, and both of them well past the age of, of childbearing. Uh, in fact, they, they, did, they had not been able to have any children because Sarah was uh, barren. And yet God tells Abram that he would make him the father of many nations. In fact, Abram's name means exalted father, which would have been very difficult, I think, walking around in that society that valued, uh, that bestowed status on a person by how many children that they had. How difficult it must have been for Abram and Sarah to walk through the town square. Abram's very name meaning exalted father. And to not have any children at all. Um, it's interesting that the Lord in the story in Genesis, the Lord kind of doubles this tension because he renames Abram to what we know today as Abraham. Abraham, which 
means father of a multitude. It's like, wow, Lord, thanks for adding this dimension into my life, huh? Even even if they lived to be in their 100s, as did folks of, of that time, commonly, they had no reasonable chance, humanly speaking, of having a child at this point. And so Genesis chapter 17, verse 16 promises that Abraham would have a son, an heir, and it would be through his wife, Sarah, and that their descendants would be kings and a multitude of nations. It's just a staggering promise all the way around. It's one of the most astounding things that, that really God ever says to a person. So shall your offspring be, he tells Abram. This means a few things, this phrase, and it's worth considering for a moment. First, it means that Abraham's biological family would be large. Uh, a multitude that cannot be counted, numbering more than the grains of sand, more than the stars of the sky God had promised him. Uh, secondly, it means that God is promising Abraham something uh, concerning a specific offspring. Offspring in the singular. It's actually in the singular there, a single seed. And Paul will later help us to understand what this means in Galatians 3. 16, he says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring. Here's what he reveals, who is Christ. The promise God made to Abraham concerning his seed or his offspring was referring to Christ. God is saying that out of your loins, Abraham, I'm going to send the Messiah. I'm going to send the Savior, the deliverer of my people. Jesus said that Abraham understood this to a certain extent. Uh, John 8, 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham realized that salvation does not come by works, but rather faith through this promised seed who is Jesus. It would come through an act of God who would send a Messiah for us. There's a third meaning, though, to so shall your offspring be, and, and, and that is that Paul seems to be making the case again that, that Gentiles will also come into this salvation, that Abraham will not just be the physical father of, a, uh, of the Jewish people, and not only would be, he be the one through whom the Messiah would come, offspring, but what it does say in verse 17, that I've made you the father of many nations. That is, in a spiritual sense, that both Jews and Gentiles, and, and indeed anyone who comes into the promise of God by faith, that they are doing so as Abraham as their father in, in this sense. He's going to be the father of all who come to God by faith. It's quite incredible, isn't it? It's, it's an amazing pro that God would make this promise, the promise itself. Now, now, here's the most astounding thing about all of this. Abraham believed it. He believed it. That's what we're told, verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Abraham hoped against hope because he had no reasonable hope of this coming to, to pass. Uh, nothing made sense in how this was going to work itself out. But yet Abraham believed it. 
And he believed it for a long time, even though it didn't happen. Some 24 years passed after God made his initial promise to him. Uh, God promises him again in Genesis 18. He says to him there, this time next year, Sarah is going to have a son. Abram's now 100 years old. His wife, 90 years old. They have no kids. And God is still promising them, you're going to have a large family and your seed is going to bring about the Messiah, and you're going to become the father of many nations spiritually. And Abraham believed it. We're not told, but I often, often just wonder how this came about, like when Abraham gave Sarah this news. You know, we imagine them at one point, Sarah asking, where have you been, Abraham? And Abraham saying something like, well, you know, I've been outside having my devotions with the Lord. Oh, that's good. Was it, was it a profitable time? Was it good? Oh, he said it was great. She said, well, what did he say to you? What, what did God say to you? He, he, said, um, he said, you're going to have a baby next year. <laughs> imagine how that must have went down. It's important for us to understand that when Abraham believed this, again, he had nothing but the mere statement of God. That's all he had. God's word told, God told him that this was the basis of his faith. God made the promise, and Abraham, on that fact alone, believed it. Lloyd-Jones writes about faith in terms of the nature of what this teaching us about faith, that this is always true of faith. It's one of the most marvelous characteristics. There's always a naked element of faith. It does not ask for proofs. It does not seek them. In a sense, it does not need them. Faith is content with the bare word of God because He's God. That's remarkable. It's the same when we trust God in the matter of our salvation today. Um, remember, Paul's point here is that by faith we believe and are justified. We are saved because of, of our faith alone. And what are we based this on? We're not basing our salvation on our feelings. We're not basing this salvation on our opinions about it or what other people are saying. We, we are basing our assurance, the, the blessed assurance that we have that we sing about, not on our opinions, but on the word that, that God has told us this to be true. Jesus said in John 5.24, one of my memory verses this week, Ben, and I'm not sure I can, I can do it. Truly, truly, I say to you, Oh, I got to look. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Notice it. He who hears my word and believes on the word, that is where we find life and salvation, by believing God's word. It's just pure and simple faith. Now, Boyce adds here again, we're sometimes told that we can believe God without believing the Bible. But it does not require a course in logic to see the absurdity of that statement. If the Bible is not the Word of God to be fully believed because it is God's Word, then where does God tell us anything? Where does God ever show us what needs to be believed? And if there's nowhere that God does speak to say that we can believe Him is ridiculous. If God has not spoken to us truthfully in the Bible, then we cannot exercise belief in Him, even if we want to. That's important. 
Uh, We're putting our faith. Abraham, faith enables us to believe the word of of the promise. In saying that too, this is not a faith that is without reason. And we see that secondly, that Abraham's faith grew strong despite obstacles. Notice verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No one believed made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Now, just notice that word considered. Abraham's faith here, Abraham is contemplating the facts. And I think that's really important. Biblical faith is not without reason. That's what people who don't believe often will criticize and say. You people who have faith, you have, you're just believing without any reasons whatsoever. That is not the truth. truth. How did Abraham come to this massive exercise of his faith? He considered this. He weighed the possibilities. In this case, he's weighing the impossibility of becoming a father at his age at 100, versus the, the, the divine impossibility that God, uh, that, that God would be able to break His own word. He's weighing it out. Think of that. Abraham knows what's what here. He, he, owns his, he knows his own body. He even says, look, I know how old I am. I'm 100. I'm as good as dead. He didn't say that about his wife, but I'm, that's true too, right? The, the, being 90 years old, you know, the womb is just, it's not, 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 not there anymore. It's not functioning that way. 100-year-old men and 90-year-old women don't conceive and have babies. And yet when all of the chips are, are down, so to speak, Abraham believes God rather than the limitations of his own body. Rather than what he can, what what looks like are obvious circumstances that are very contrary to God's word, he chooses to believe God. If we stop and think about this, this should not be hard for us. Uh, And yet, in another sense, we should ask why should why should we not believe God? Why should we not believe? If there's anyone who's proven to be untrustworthy in this world, it is mankind, isn't it? And if we're honest about it, it's our own selves, our own hearts. And yet God's Word is His bond. He never changes His mind. His Word stands forever. This is why Abraham doesn't waver. He he considers the fact of the divine impossibility of God ever breaking His Word. And he reasons and he rations to himself here that, that that option of God breaking his word is more unlikely than a hundred-year-old couple having a baby. God is trustworthy, and so Abraham believed. And I think, again, Boyce points out something helpful here. No one should understand this as meaning that faith is irrational, since nothing is more rational than to believe God even in the face of evidence to the contrary. But what it does mean that faith stands always with God and His Word, even when doing so, appears foolish from a human perspective. If you step back just for a moment and think about, think about even the truths that we've been singing this morning. Think about how contrary uh, to appearances all of this really is. All of our, our faith is. The fact that, that we would believe that, that there's a God who created the world in, in six days, 
And that through Adam's sin, his first creation, Adam's sin in the garden, that sin has come to all of us and it has condemned all of us. And so that fact, God took on flesh and became a man in order to save us. And, 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 and then what might appear to be impossible and preposterous, he tells us that the salvation that we are believing in and singing about is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. We can't do anything. We have nothing to do to earn this. We actually believe this. We actually believe that the guilt of our sins that God has placed on Jesus hanging on the cross and that he has somehow given us, credited us, his righteousness to ourselves. We believe this. And then we also believe that after three days, this Jesus rose again. And maybe even more hard to believe that one day he's going to be coming back riding a white horse to get us all and to take us to be with him. These are the very core truths of our Christian faith, amen? And yet that is precisely what God calls us to believe. Abraham believed with a lot less of God's revelation than we have. We have much more because we're on this side of the, the cross and the resurrection. We can see this so much more clearly than what he can see it. And yet, yet he believes and despite all contrary appearances. We need to see something even more, though. We kind of danced around it a little bit in the text, and I think it's key, though, to understanding this faith. And that is that his faith was assured by the character of God. Or you couldn't even put there the power of God. Uh, notice the build-up to this. Verse 19, it says that he didn't weaken in faith. Uh, verse 20, uh, the phrase, no unbelief made him waver. And then the climax there, verse 21, Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. How did Abraham get here? It's really, it's an amazing story. How did he get to this point, especially in a world that, 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 that where flesh is weak and circumstances are usually more powerful than, than, than we are? The, the only answer to that is that faith, his faith grew strong because it was not directed in any way toward himself, but only toward God who is able. He expressed it at the end of verse 17 that I kind of skirted over to save until this point. Verse 17, when it says, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, here's what he believed about God. Notice what it says. Who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Those are, those are massive concepts about God that Abram believed. First, he believed that God gives life to the dead. It's not really clear how Abraham came to this knowledge because up until this point, there's not really a resurrection in, 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 in the Bible. Uh, and, and so, it's, 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 it's interesting, but yet Abraham believed that God could do it. In fact, several years later, you, you may remember that in the birth of his son Isaac, and Isaac had grown up to be a teenager, and God told him, I want you to go and sacrifice Isaac. And, and part of the reason Abraham was willing to do that was he said, I think even if I kill him, God can raise him from the dead. He believed this. Second, he understood that God could call into existence the things that do not exist. Literally, what that's talking about is that God can create something out of nothing. He has that kind of power just to create 
And, and so we're trying to piece this together, and again, it's, it's not completely clear, but perhaps in retrospect, there is some suggestion here of this idea of resurrection and restoration. Maybe Abraham is thinking about him and Sarah's reproductive system, right? That God's got to do something here to resurrect this dead old me and, and her to be able to, to do this. Hebrews 11 actually hints at that. It says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. And then speaking of Abraham, notice the phrasing, therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. God, for intensive purposes, creates Isaac. That's his son, their son, creates him out of nothing. God has, has the power to resurrect from the dead and to create life out of nothing to make this promise happen. This is what, it, this is what enabled Abraham to have this kind of faith. Uh, he, he considered the facts of his own circumstances, and he put them next to God, and, and then he says, I'm going to put my faith in God. And so he's, he's not exemplary because he, he, he never falters, but rather he stays strong in his faith in the great test of life. I think this is really a picture of what it means to be a Christian in many ways. Only... Hope, our only hope in life and death is trusting in the word of an all-powerful God. There's nothing else to trust in. Everything the, that the world offers passes away, but it is the word of God that stands forever and ever. His character never changes. His power knows no limits. He's mighty to save those who come to him in faith. In this way, we're very much like Abraham. Calvin writes this, we share Abraham's condition. Circumstances often seem to contradict God's promises, yes, but his pro he promises us immortality, and yet we are surrounded by mortality and corruption. He declares that he accounts us as just, justified, or right, and yet we are covered with sins. How can these things be? How will this promise ever come to pass that he will save us? It is, and it will because of the word of God. He promised it. Paul wants us to focus here on Abraham's faith, not some kind of a subjective faith or an emotional faith or, or an imaginative faith. Leander Keck writes this, Paul did not believe in faith. He believed in God and emphasized faith, not because faith is powerful, but because God is powerful. Abraham grew strong in his faith, it says, as he gave glory to God. That is, he's not looking to himself to muster up some kind of faith, but he's looking to God to bring glory to God. Notice finally, his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And we've stated this point already several times, but Paul restates it in verse 22. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. A faith that makes one righteous uh, before God perceives the, the immensity of, of a God who creates out of nothing. 
a faith that doesn't de deny the existence of obstacles and, and challenges, but evaluates them next to an all-powerful God. A faith that brings assurance that what God has promised, He will in fact bring about. And Paul says this kind of faith is the only kind that will ever be counted as righteous before God. Think about what's being said here. We'll, we're, we're wrapping this up, but how is salvation possible for any of us? That's the question lurking behind this. How's it possible for any of you sinners, and me included, to be saved? How is it? Romans 1 through 3 has concluded that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that, that none of us are, are deserving of any kind of mercy and grace for Him. We're only deserving of the condemnation of God. Added to this, Ephesians 2.1 reminds us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And those of you who know, you know your own hearts. You know what is in there. You know the thoughts that you have and, and the motivations and the deeds that you do, the actions and all the ways that you fall short and how this testifies over and over again. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. How will any of us ever be saved? How will any of us ever be rescued? The answer is our God is able to raise the dead to create something out of nothing. And so Ephesians 2.5 says, but God, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what does He do? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. It's all of God and His grace. Nothing less could have brought us to salvation, you understand. Only God can do this, and He did do this through His Son, Jesus Christ. He did. That is why there's hope for Jews and Gentiles, and that is why there, there's hope for people like us who are sinners. The God who raises the dead and gives life to things that have no being can give life to us through faith. Hear the word of Jesus again. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Hallelujah, church. Hallelujah for that. Have you heard that call? Have you believed Him? What, what in the world could possibly be holding you back today? You don't need any more evidence. There's nothing more that needs to be proven. There's nothing more that God needs to do. He has done it all. He has raised Jesus from the dead. He can give new life to you today. Believe. Believe on His words. Come to faith. Come to Him in faith today. Heavenly Father, thank You for these words to us, for Abraham and, and the amazing illustration that Paul uses today to encourage our faith. And I pray that You would help us, as Abraham did, to grow in our faith as we seek Your glory. 
Do your work in hearts and lives now. And if there's someone here who doesn't know you, may today be the day of salvation for them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.